What are some of the major complaints about Kentucky basketball and Coach John Calipari, and are they legitimate? We talk about that on today's episode of Locked on Kentucky. You are Locked on Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated. For various SEC-related things, but on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics on today's episode of Locked on Kentucky. Going to be taking a look at an article written by Mark Story of the Lexington Herald-Leader. Uh, interesting article here, common gripes about John Calipari and the University of Kentucky and their basketball program. He's going to go over three different complaints that fans have, and he's going to break down the reality of the situation. I'm going to give my take on what Mark has to say. Some of it I agree with, some of it I disagree with, and then to wrap up the show. And the reason that I put it at the back of the show and it's it's not at the forefront is because I, I don't really think we can conclude a lot from it. Uh, Joe Lenardi already has bracketology out for this upcoming season. Just essentially a prediction. It's just projecting the field. Uh, not a whole lot, I think, to really go off of. I think even Lenardi would agree with that, but we're going to get to that later. But starting off here, common gripes about Coach John Calipari in Kentucky. Again, this article was written by Mark Story, writer for the Lexington Herald-Leader. I'm going to leave a link to this article in the description if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening on podcast format, I may may just drop the link in there as well. The first complaint that Mark Story said a lot of different Kentucky fans have is Coach John Calipari's outmoded offensive system keeps undermining the Wildcats. And this is what Mark says is the reality, whether or not that's true or not. He says, no sooner had the final buzzer sounded on the loss to St. Peter's than Calipari's offensive approach continued use of two big men, a non-shooting point guard, lack of floor spacing, uh, began t- uh, taking incoming missiles. So he was saying essentially after the loss to St. Peter's, a lot of people were attacking Coach Cal's offensive system. And part of it I thought was justified. I, I did not think the offensive performance was impressive against St. Peter's, and I thought the decisions made were relatively questionable. Mark goes on to say, it's certainly true that Coach John Calipari has not fully embraced a Golden State Warrior-style system that consistently utilizes four players out on the perimeter and features outside shooting capacity spread around the court. And we've talked about that before on the podcast. Whenever we do previews of opposing teams, we like to take a look at their film. We like to take a look at the style of offense that they run. And we do our best uh, we can to describe the X's and O's of their system Um, and I think a lot of times we're typically dealing with in the SEC, we're dealing with four out one and we're dealing with five out type of offenses. And I think Mark makes a good point is, is the offensive system, the philosophy, the sets that coach Cal likes to run. They're not the most modern. I think you see a little bit of the weave. You think you see a little bit of motion. You also see players create nice isolation you see a lot of different things with with Coach Cal's offense, but you don't see anything modern. Like, you don't see four out one in. You don't see Golden State style of system, right? And, and I think that Mark makes a good point there, just talking about how he's not embraced that yet. Should he? I think that's up for debate. I, I would like to see Kentucky move in a more modern direction with their offense. But Mark goes on to also say this. 
But for all the fan angst about the UK offensive system, the 71 points that Kentucky had on the board at the end of regulation against St. Peter's should have been enough to beat a Peacocks offense that failed to score 70 points in 18 of the 30 games it had played entering the NCAA tournament. And I was under fire for for this. So I did my preview episode of Kentucky versus St. Peter's. And I said, like any rational human being would, looking at a two seed facing a 15 seed, it's like, Kentucky, I believe, is more athletic. I believe they're more talented. And I believe they're going to go be able to go in here. And they may struggle a little bit against St. Peter's defense. But overall, I think they are a more talented and more complete team. On top of that, St. Peter's has been extremely inefficient on the offensive side of the ball for the majority of the season. There was not a lot to indicate that there was a potential upset brewing outside of me noting the fact that Doug Eddert was a name on the team, and it would be funny if uh, a team led by Doug Eddert uh, would would be able to make a legitimate run, a Cinderella run in the tournament. That ended up happening, but there was not a lot not to truly point to that. And then we got to the actual game, and Mark makes a good point. Most of the time, 71 points should be enough for a 2 seed to beat a 15 seed, right? Not only that, but St. Peter's offense is not very good. Statistically, it was not until they got into the tournament. They just got hot at the right time in Kentucky. Their guard play was a little bit of an issue. And then I'll also say this on top of what Mark is saying is I don't think... If you make your free throws at the end of that game, you're probably going to win it. And we may not be having this conversation. But Mark points out the fact that like, you know, we should probably have been able to win that game with 71 points. He also says, the fact is, when Kentucky's roster was fully healthy, the outmodded Calipari offense hung 98 points on North Carolina. That's true. 107 on Tennessee. Everybody remembers that game. And then they dropped 80 points on Kansas, Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse. Everybody remembers that game. And he said, heck, the Wildcats still stand sixth in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency and the season-ending Pomer- Kim Palm rankings. The, the Pomeroy rankings. Meanwhile, the Kentucky defense dropped from number 11 and adjusted defensive efficiency on February 6th to number 36 by years. And I also want to point out, while it's fair, the defense had its fair share of struggles. We have well documented here on the show what the guards for Kentucky were doing for the final 15-ish games of the season. After that Auburn game, after that Alabama game, all of Kentucky's guards took a statistical dip and this is not an exaggeration. We can go back. I can link the episode in the description. Almost every single major statistical category. I'm talking about Wheeler, Mintz, Grady. All three of those guys, and there was a fourth. I don't, I don't know why I'm blanking on him right now. But all, all four of them took a statistical dip. I think the only thing that didn't was severe Wheeler. He was slight, a slightly better three-point shooter. But everything else dropped. So while I think that it's... I think that Mark makes a really good point. It's like, let's, we, we, sh- we shouldn't be criticizing Kentucky's system because it was relatively efficient for the entire season. At the same time, though, wouldn't you like to see the coach make adjustments and kind of help out that offense that is struggling clearly, especially with their backcourt as the season comes to an end? And I would have liked to have seen some different looks against St. Peter's. And I know you're probably not going to want to try and show a ton. You're not, probably not going to try and do a ton, because the approach is like, well, this is St. Peter's. It's a 15 seed. Let's take care of business. Let's move on. We don't have to be flashy. We'll save that for whenever we play Purdue or North Carolina or Baylor. But I, I think that, again, Story makes a good point. But at the same time, 
you, I feel like we have to hold Coach Calipari a little, a little accountable for what happened at the end of the season. I will say this though, and I don't think I don't see a lot of people talking about this. I believe it was Kyle Tucker of the Athletic that put out an article talking about how Kellen Grady was dealing with some uh, some injury issues, and he literally couldn't like it was it was difficult to walk after games, and he tried to put gel in his shoes to fix it, but the the long term the long-term effect of it was like, if you don't get rest, it's going to linger and it might get even worse. And that's what happened with Grady. And he, I think that's the reason why he lost his shooting touch. So I think you've got to be able to, you got to be able to work around things like that. And obviously they're difficult things to work around, but I, I think that Calipari has got to be held a little accountable for that. You've got to acknowledge that. All right. I want to talk about two more gripes with, Coach John Calipari in Kentucky, and then we'll go through bracketology. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Built Bar. Have you tried Built Bar's new thing? They've got this new thing called Puffs, and if you haven't tried them, you're missing out on one of Built's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're absolutely delicious, covered in 100% real chocolate. They're also really good for you. They're low in calorie, high in protein, like all Built Bars are. You can replace your candy bars with these. Very, very good for you delicious as well. They've got so many different new flavors. They're always coming out with new ones all the time. And you can go to built.com right now and you can use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Again, you can use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order over at built.com. I'd highly encourage you guys to go uh, check them out. All right, continuing along here on the Wednesday edition of Locked on Kentucky, Lance Daw here with you. Thank you so much for making Locked on Kentucky your first listen every single day. Reminding everybody out there, we're free and available on every single platform out there, including YouTube. Appreciate the YouTube watchers out there as well. Common gripes about Coach Cal and Kentucky. We went through one of them saying that his offensive system is outdated. And while I do agree, I would like to see some new things. You got to be able to hold Coach Cal accountable for what happened at the end of the year. So I think those both those things are fair. I think there's a middle ground here between saying Coach Calipari needs to be fired and criticizing all his uh, all his flaws and saying like we shouldn't be even considering criticizing this man at all. I think there's an even ground to it. Well, let's be critical, but let's also understand the situation. But here's the second common gripe according to Mark's story. Calipari cares more about putting players in the NBA than he does winning for Kentucky. I've seen this half a million times in my own YouTube comments. And I've addressed this a little bit myself. While I do appreciate and understand where people are coming from and saying it's like we want players to come here and we want them to be able to focus on winning here and I don't want our coach to be focused on primarily trying to put kids in the NBA I want him focused on winning here my approach to this has been I agree with you that's fair but at the same time don't you think that that's a really good selling point for all of these five-star kids to say hey you can come here and you can go to the NBA. You're going to be able to display all your talents. You're going to get national recognition, a lot of TV, uh, TV, um, TV exposure. You're going to be out there. Everybody's going to be watching you. You're going to be able to play your game. And you're going to be able to go to the next level and succeed. That's a really, really good sales pitch to say, "Hey, come play for us." That's the way you get the. That's the way you get good players. That's the way you get good players. And Mark's story says something similar. But at the same time, I'm not coming from the, the position of 
Like, we shouldn't be criticizing that all. Again, I understand and acknowledge what people are saying. I understand where people are coming from. I just think that, I don't know, I look at it a little bit differently. But here's what Mark's story says. The reality is, it is perfectly valid to question Calipari's decision to market Kentucky to recruits as the quickest path to the NBA, rather than as a uniquely special place to play college basketball. That strategy has graded on a fairly significant portion of the Big Blue Nation from the start. Fair. Now that Kentucky is not winning the rate at the rate it did in the early parts of the Calipari era, the level of fan irritation over, the, over Kentucky's program's emphasis on the number of players it has put in the NBA has multiplied. But story says this. The idea that Calipari is not all out to win games is fairly preposterous. The knock on Calipari at all of his pre-Kentucky college coaching stops is, there that, uh, is that there was basically no regulator on his zeal to win. So he thought that Calipari would get to Kentucky, or so the thought that Calipari would get to Kentucky, arguably the most prestigious coaching job in this sport, and decide to de-emphasize winning is far-fetched. Whether or not it is the best long-term sales pitch, Calipari promotes Kentucky's success in putting players in the pros as a message to future recruits so that Kentucky can get more players so it can win more games. And I resonate with that last bit there, that last little paragraph. Is it the best strategy? I don't know. And and obviously fans disagree with that. They want it to be more about us. We don't want it to be about the NBA. We want it to be about our program and what makes it special because it is a special program. But I think, again, like Story said, it's a really, really good way to send a message to, to future recruits and say, hey, you can come here and play and do all this stuff, but the coach, is the, his job is to win, and so he's going to be able to get those players, and this is just the method that he's chosen to try and get them. It's the primary method. What I would really like to see, and, man, I, NIL is an interesting situation right now. I'd like to see Kentucky try and dive into that market a little bit more. I'm not saying go all in and crazy and just start throwing out McDonald's bags like Tennessee does. That's a joke. Nobody get offended. But I, I want to see Kentucky try and invest a little bit in that aspect because I think that it's this prestigious program. You can get to the kids to the NBA, but that's the new thing right now. And I think it would be able to potentially attract a lot of really, really good talent. We've talked recently before on the podcast about whether or not Kentucky should be going for one-and-dones more often or should they would be going for transfers. Listen, I think if you want to see Kentucky continue to, to hit it up on the recruiting trail, you've got to be able to see them see if they can strike some NIL deals. And I'm not saying the university, university directly. Obviously, they can't do that, but they can have outside people do that. And I would love to see that strategy kind of be implemented. Speaking of strategy... The final complaint here, according to Mark's story, and this is the final complaint that he said it's the most common among fans, Calipari's disdain for calling a timeout to set up a play in late-game situations is bad strategy. I agree with this. But here's what story says. He says, The reality is, after St. Peter's, Doug Eddard scored on a runner in the lane with 21.6 seconds left in regulation to tie the game at 71, Coach Calipari thought about calling a timeout. Kentucky uh, correctly held for the last shot, shot of regulation. Point guard Severe Wheeler crossed midcourt with 17.2 seconds left, ran down the clock by dribbling near midcourt until 17 or 7.2 seconds remained. Then he drove left. Wheeler stumbled as he reached the lane, gathered himself, and fired the ball to Ty Ty Washington in the right corner with three and a half seconds left. Washington moved to his left and ended up taking a contested 17-foot jumper with 1.9 seconds left. It missed everything, 
And Kentucky was heading to overtime and disaster. As disaster afterward, fan frustration with Calipari for not calling the timeout with the ball at the end of regulation boiled over. And I agree. I was I was confused. This is obviously a situation where the it, here's here's my thing. If it's a if it's a close game with a really really good opponent, I think you kind of understand what what's what's going on, right? You're going back and forth, back and forth. I don't think a timeout consistently helps you in that situation, but. If you are tied at 71 with 17 seconds left with a 15 seed, something has gone wrong. And if you've got timeouts to use, brother, I think you should be using them, right? If you are if you have an opportunity to win a game that you that the opposing team has no business even being in, then I think you should be using a timeout. Get yourself together. You only have so many opportunities to do it in between TV breaks and whatnot. Call a timeout. Get everything set up. Of course, the opposing view, and this is what Story notes, is from a coaching standpoint, calling or not calling a timeout in late-game situations is simply a matter of personal preference. In Story's view, this is what he says, not stopping play so that the opposing defense does not have time to get organized is a reasonable approach. I think that's fair. But... Story goes on to also say this. Think about Kentucky's stirring run to the 2014 NCAA championship game. Kentucky playing Michigan. Uh, Jordan Morgan of Michigan tied it, tied it at 72 on a putback with 30 seconds left. Coach Cal called a timeout with 27 seconds left. Uh, Aaron Harrison uh, made a three-pointer uh, to win the game, essentially, with two seconds left. Then the next week, Wisconsin had hit two free throws. Uh, they were ahead of Kentucky by two. Coach Cal did not call a timeout. Aaron Harrison made another three-pointer with five-point seconds left. And then this is what Story says. The moral here is call a timeout or don't. The evaluation of late-game coaching strategies tends to be based on only on outcome. I kind of disagree with that because, again, I go back to what I was saying. is like if you are in a situation where you have struggled with a team that you shouldn't be struggling with, if you have an opportunity to group yourself together at, together at the end, knowing that you are more talented, more athletic, and you have, you have the ability to win a game, don't get me wrong. You have the ability to beat this team. Call a timeout. Get comfortable. Right? And if you had not scored, I would have understood. If you had not scored, I would it would have been perfectly fine with it. But getting your guy set up in a tense, frenetic, just crazy situation, I think is fair. Now, he makes a good point, Story does, saying it's like, well, you look at these big-time games. And Kentucky was able to get out of it, whether they called a timeout or not. I think this also, in a way, comes back on Coach Cal. But also, like, the team was set... I'll say this real, really quickly before I get into this. The team was set up to succeed last season, and then the injuries kind of hurt it at the end of the year. And just inconsistency from guard play. The coaching could have been a little bit better, but also, like, things just went... Things went the wrong way. And some people could not have predicted that. But I think that Kentucky getting, how do I phrase this? I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. They need to focus on getting somebody clutch in the, on the recruiting trail. And I don't know if that's the best way to phrase that. But I think that you look at guys like Aaron Harrison. I mean, it was, you talk about the timeouts being inconsistent. What was the consistent thing? My boy Aaron Harrison hitting a three to win the game. So you've got to be able to get somebody out there that has that bucket getter mentality. We've talked about that before on the show. Getting somebody that can create an isolation and knock down that clutch shot when you need them to do so. Did Kentucky have that on roster last season? 
Don't think so. Unless it was Shaden Sharp and he was not eligible to play. Or at least he didn't play for most of the season. and then Or he couldn't and then he didn't. That's what I'm trying to say here. But I think moving forward, you've got to be able to consistently find that guy on the recruiting trail or find that guy in the transfer portal. You can't be, you can't head into the NCAA tournament with a bunch of wishy-washy players that don't want to take a final shot. And I'm not saying that's what Kentucky had. Ty Ty Washington was more than confident uh, taking some late game shots for the Wildcats this past season. Of course, he was not 100%. And then Kellen Grady also wasn't 100%. And Severe Wheeler can't shoot. And Davion Mintz, I don't think, was going to be able to step up and take that shot. You need somebody that you know definitively he's going to be able to come through for me in this spot. I think that that, com- that reflects on Coach Cal as he's not gotten that player again. Even though I believe he's had the opportunity to do so, he's not been able to execute on the recruiting trail and pick up that guy. If he just doesn't care about it, then I think that, you know, that's the way it is. And it's just like, okay, well, then win with this type of system, with these type of players, if it's more of a team thing, right? Instead of just one star player trying to take over in a clutch moment. But he couldn't execute with that last year. So all in all, after going through this article, in my opinion, I think Mark makes some really good points about how you know there, there are a lot of common things that the fan base says to complain about what Coach Cal's doing. But we should maybe take a, a step back. And I have a similar, I have a similar point of view, but at the same time, I think it's fair to criticize him in certain areas, right? A little bit better coaching on the offensive end. Maybe work in some new sets and different things like that. Maybe trying to work in some NIL so that the focus is not entirely on sales pitching guys to come to the NBA. I think the fan base would appreciate that. And then finally, I think, yeah, calling timeouts in situations where you should be winning and you aren't, I think it's important. I think it's important to see if you can get your guys set up. All right. Want to talk about Joe Lenardi? Already has a new bracketology for this upcoming season. Is it a little bit pointless? Maybe. Want to talk about that, though, in just a second, where Kentucky is. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends at Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now virtually impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the exact same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is also a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years now. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer out there. And then on top of that, they've got everything you could ever need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. And you can go to rockauto.com right now, and you can see all the parts available for your car or truck. And you can write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices. It's all the parts your car will ever need. You can check them out at rockauto.com. All right, wrapping up the Wednesday edition of Locked On Kentucky, Lance Daw here with you. Taking a look at the bracketology that Joe Lenardi has put out. Put it out just yesterday. And the top overall seed is Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky has the top overall seed in the tournament. He has seven teams from the Big Ten making it, seven teams from the SEC, and seven teams from the Big 
12. Kentucky, according to him, would be slated to play in the South region, which, funny enough, is actually in Louisville. But Kentucky would start out in Kentucky, or excuse me, in Columbus, as a one seed, the number one overall seed. And then some of the other interesting notes here, Auburn would be a five seed, Florida would be an 11 seed, Joe Lenardi has Arkansas as a two seed, Tennessee as a four, Alabama as a five, no shot. So a, a few interesting spots, landing spots for some uh, some SEC teams, especially Arkansas as a two seed. But overall, I think that, you know, it's fun to speculate about different things like this, but is it worth our time this early in the offseason? I don't think so. I just wanted to bring it up just to, to let you know what let you guys know. There are people out there that are positive about where the team is at right now. And you may be some of them. I'm just I've just continued to see so much negativity. And and Lenardi also says this. It is, of course, a fool's errand to compile any kind of next year bracket in college basketball. It takes an even bigger fool to attempt one with over 1,000 Division One players in the transfer portal, all of which suggest I am perfect for the job as making an annual April fool of myself has become a true occupational hazard. So Lenardi uh, acknowledges, like, yeah, this this is kind of you know fruitless, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's fun, and I can respect that. Uh, as somebody that's going to take a deep dive in off some off-season content here, I, I can respect that and get behind that. But point being is, like, he thinks right now Kentucky will be the number one overall seed, and I think there's reason to believe Kentucky's going to be a top five, top three team next season, especially if Sharp or Shebway returns. It's not all gloom and doom. I think Kentucky's putting itself in a position to have another successful season it's just, what does that ceiling look like? I don't know. We were, we, we were going to need to get some answers here over the uh, the next few weeks to figure out where Sharp's at, where Sheba's at, where some of these transfers are. Antonio Reeves, Leonard Miller, a freshman. Is he coming? What does this roster look like next season? How excited should I be? We're going to really get to figure that out soon. But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at LanceDaw underscore, and you can follow us on Instagram at Kentucky Podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments. If you're listening on podcast format, hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode. Have a good day, everybody, and God bless.